This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 198, Luke Taberski, World Adventurer. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Hi, friends, and happy Labor Day. Hey, if you are in the U.S., it's Labor Day today. Enjoy your day off. Celebrate all the hard work you've done throughout the year. That's what it's all about. I think it has a lot to do with horseshoes and hammocks myself, but Labor Day is awesome. I hope you're having a great Labor Day time. For those of you in the rest of the world, I hope you have a happy Monday. And I wanted to make one more announcement. I announced this last time, but I wanted to bring it up again. If you have an event coming up, adventure sports related, then let us know because we offer free adventure sports community calendar event notices. So we'll get the word out for you about what you have going on. Love to do that. Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and there you can send us an email And we'll make it happen. And one more announcement before we start the main part of the show. This is a big one. Drum roll, please. How would you like to meet up at an amazing adventure sports destination? Some place with warm beaches and sunshine and beautiful salty water. A place where you can go parasailing, scuba diving, where you can try zip lining through a waterfall. Maybe swimming from a cenote underground through a cave to the open ocean. How would you like to meet with the Adventure Sports Podcast community and just have a lot of fun trying new, amazing adventure sports? We'll have guest speakers from the Adventure Sports Podcast guest list. We'll have times where we can meet up and celebrate together. If that sounds like an amazing vacation to you, well, it certainly does to us. We would like to know what the interest is in an event like this. So if you think, you know what, I might do that, please go to the Adventure Sports Podcast website and click the Contact Us button. Again, it's a big orange and gray button kind of on the right-hand side, a little bit down the screen. That will allow you to send us an email and just say, hey, that destination trip sounds wonderful. I would like to do that. I'd like to meet other adventure sports enthusiasts, and I think it sounds like a ton of fun. Let's see if we can make this happen. So once again, Adventure Sports Podcast Meetup at an amazing adventure sports destination. Let us know. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have returning guest, Luke Taberski, and he is here to make a special announcement about his outcoming documentary on the Ultimate Triathlon, but we're going to save that for the second half of the program because I want you to get a chance, for those of you who have not heard the first show, get a chance to get to know Luke and his amazing life story and the things that he's doing. Here's just a quick list. Um, He puts adventures that he's done on his website. And so you can go read about these and see videos and pictures and all this stuff. Really, really cool. But climbing volcanoes, the race for survival, a Lucathon, biking. How far was it, Luke? 450 kilometers to learn to surf? G'day, Kurt. It was only 412, mate. Don't big me up too much. (laughs) 412. Um, The Marathon de Sobs. Uh, he's a former soccer player, and something that he shared with us on the first show that I want to bring up again because it was so valuable, I believe, in episode 170, Luke shared with us how he has been overcoming clinical depression 
which is a, a very insightful thing. I think it was very, very encouraging. And Luke, I appreciated your your candidness with us in the first show, because I think that helps a lot of people. So we talked about all these things in the first show, Luke. I still want you to give the backstory for our audience. We need to know who you are again. But for those of you who don't know Luke, you might want to go listen to the first episode to get all those details, because today we're on to mostly new material. So Luke, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for having me back on, mate. It's, a, uh, it's going to be a fun time. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Who am I? I'm just a crazy Aussie mate trying to live life pretty much. <laughs> That's a little short. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So I, I'm an Australian who lives in London and uh, yeah, I'm uh, an endurance adventurer. That's what I call myself these days. Um, I've been an endurance adventurer now for probably four and a half, five years. I used to be a soccer player, as you said. I bounced around the world playing lower-level professional soccer. Uh, I played in Australia. I played actually in America as well. I was uh, in Europe, in Belgium, and in the UK. And I found myself in London about eight years ago um, trying to find a club to play for. And I suffered many, many injuries, many setbacks. And I uh, couldn't, couldn't shake them off. I couldn't find a club. And I kept me injuries after injuries. No, nothing was related until finally I had another injury and I decided to retire from soccer at the ripe old age of 28. And 28. I realized I, 28, that's right. You know, I, I had, I left my family home at 16. I left Australia when I was 21 to go on the other side of the world to pursue my career. So I'd bounced around for a fair while and I'd seen a lot of the world and met some great people and uh, had some great experiences. But at 28, after three long, hard years of injuries, I had four surgeries and loads of other major injuries, I called it quits. And quite literally, the same day I retired from soccer while I was icing my calf, I signed up to the Marathon de Sables, which is a ultra marathon through the Sahara Desert, self-sufficient, carrying all your needs on your back. And for some crazy reason, I decided I wanted to be an adventurer. I wanted to travel the world, do crazy big adventures, live my life because the previous three years of my life, I wasn't really living. I was surviving. Um, I was battling with depression. I didn't speak openly about it to anyone apart from uh, a therapist in the final year of when I was playing football. Uh, I battled for quite quite a few years before I even told anyone, and then I got to a point where I needed to. I felt like I needed some help, and instead of talking to friends, family, my partner at the time, I went to a therapist, which helped me, uh, and then I continued on my journey. Uh, in life, um, and I signed up to the Marathon de Sables, and I said I'm going to be an adventurer. I hated running. I never ran more than six miles in one go before I signed up to this race, and it's 155 miles in seven days, so the equivalent <laughs> of six marathons in seven days. And as I said, you carry everything on your back, and that was it. I was set on this new path as an adventurer, and uh, here we are. What is it now? Five years later, and there's uh, plenty of things that have happened uh, in that time. Well, you know, I, I I'm chuckling because you just described three years of injuries and in fighting depression, and so of course the solution to three years of injuries and surgeries and all this kind of stuff is to run a marathon a day for seven days, with one day being two marathons. I mean that that will solve everything, won't it? Well, it was a massive escape from life. I was, <laughs> I, I was quite literally running away from life's problems. I I wouldn't recommend it for you know to try and solve all your problems, but five years down the track, and in hindsight, it definitely helped spark the um, a few things in my life that helped me get to where I am now and helped me get through some tough times. But yeah, it was just a it was an escape from life. I didn't want to deal with the rest of my life being a 28-year-old who had no real direction now. He'd retired from being a soccer player. So I just went, well, there's – and mind you, the race was in six months. So I've got a torn calf, never run more than six miles in one go, and the race is in six months. <laughs> so 
I basically saw that I had a six-month window where I didn't have to face up to real life. I didn't have to answer anyone's questions, what are you doing next? I didn't have to try and do anything next. I just had to put my head down and start training. And quite literally, I spent whatever small amount of savings that I had on this race. And I basically got back from the Marathon de Saabs with a great life experience and it's not the cheapest race to do, but my bank account was quite literally zero and minus for a few pennies as well. Um, but I also I had that was definitely well worth it because I had this rejuvenated um, sense of urgency to live life and go out there and and be the best I can be, and that's where everything I've done since then has has spelled from. Hmm. You know, there are many of our listeners, myself included who love the idea of an adventure-based lifestyle. You know, being able to have the time and resources to go pursue our dreams, you know, whether that's a, a through hike of the Appalachian Trail or, or maybe doing the Marathon to Sobs or maybe it's, it's climbing a, a mountain in Nepal or South America or adventure travel around the world or maybe it's jumping on a motorcycle to see the planet, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Getting from the status quo to that adventure focused lifestyle is quite a hurdle. And uh, do you have any advice for people who are interested in bringing more real living into their lives? Yeah. You know, like I'm not going to lie. What what I do is, is out of the ordinary and I'm trying to make a career out of, of doing this crazy stuff. And um, now that I'm starting to get, do these bigger things, my, my life is sat behind a laptop, you know. It's not going off every day doing these stuff. It's you do these little adventures, bigger adventures, and then you have to try and promote yourself and do all that. But for the people who like their job um, and they want to keep doing it, but they want to live more adventure things, adventure lifestyle and do more things, is go and do them. If that means every weekend set yourself a goal, I'm going to go and, if you live in the mountains, go and summit one peak each weekend and do that. Develop more skills in what you like to do. So quite literally be involved in whatever part of that adventure you want to be. If you have a dream of cycling around, uh, motorcycling around the world, find people who have done it. Create a tribe around you and start spending time with like-minded people because what will happen and what happened to me as well when I started spending time with other like-minded people who were adventurers, ultra runners, ultra cyclists, swimmers and all this type of stuff, mountaineers, is you learn from them because they've all come from somewhere and you might go, well, I, I thought this something was a stumbling block but they've found a solution. So, wow, maybe I could do it in my old life. So, to sum it up is is – Start spending time with like-minded people, whether that be your partner or a friend or finding a club or a group, and actually going out and do the things that you love. Make time for it. You might have to make sacrifices, but if it's something that you truly want to do, you really want to live more an adventurous life, whether that be on the weekends or whether that be every day or even potentially trying to turn some sort of career out of it, just start doing it. Don't think about it. Don't plan all your days to do it, actually do it. Mm. You know, I would like for you to relate real quickly your learning to surf by biking story. And the reason <laughs> is because I when when you told that story in the previous episode, it struck me as something that most people could just go do if they wanted to have an adventure. Now, yeah. granted, you biked a long way in a short period of time. But people could choose a distance that's you know fits their abilities and and the challenge that they want, and I just really like it because it's approachable, it's doable, yeah. right? So yeah. give us an example of that. So the reason why I'll take it one step further back. The reason why I did that was that was in 2013, 2012. I did the marathon to Saabs, and I said, right, I'm going to be an adventurer. So this is it. I'm making this decision. I'm making a conscious decision that I'm going to be an adventurer. I had no money, I had no plans, I had no skills, I didn't, wasn't a Boy Scout, I wasn't in the military, I had nothing. So I said, I have to create content for my brand as an adventurer. So I have to find things that I can do to say I'm an adventurer that actually I go on adventures. So I started doing these smaller adventures, smaller as in time. And one of them was Luke learned to surf. 
I thought, I'm an Aussie. I'm living in London. I don't know how to surf. People think that's hilarious because all of us know how to surf, you know, obviously. But I, and in the truth, I grew up about four and a half hours away from the nearest beach next to a dairy farm, you know. So my learn to surf adventure was, right, there's a sort of famous surf beach in the southwest of the UK called Newquay where there's a lot of surf schools, there's a lot of surfing. So I thought, right, I'm going to go there. Initially, my plan was to catch a train down from London, uh, which is about 260 miles, so, you know, a few hours on the train down from London on a Saturday, chill out, see the coastal town, go for some walks over the hills and stuff like that. Sunday, do a surf school, learn how to surf, surf for half the day, catch a train back Sunday afternoon. Boom, there you go. You want to live an adventurous lifestyle? That's an adventure, something you've never done before. You've learned to surf. You've seen a new part of the country that you're in. Perfect. What a great adventure. But I took it one step further, and as you said, I did a little bike ride, whereas I got three of my friends to say, what are you guys doing on this weekend in a few months' time? Let's go on an adventure. I'm going to cycle from my house in London down to Newquay, which is 412 kilometers. Those 12, I don't say 400, I say 412, because those 12 kilometers at the end really counted. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> non, non-stop, it took me just over 18 hours, and my crew met me after about six hours along the way, and... They passed me food every few hours and uh, the route was quite simple. It was only really a couple of roads and they at the junctions, they helped me along the way. And I cycled down there and I got down there at 10.30 at night and I spoke to the surf school who I was going to surf with the next day and they organized a bit of a welcoming party, welcoming party at this pub that we are going to. So we got there and there was about 90 people waiting for us. They started singing Queen's Bicycle Race song. You know, bicycle, bicycle. <laughs> right. That, that was funny. And then the next morning, myself and my three crew, uh, we had a surf lesson for about four or five hours the next day, and we learned how to surf. And then that afternoon, we drove back to London. So, yes, it's an extreme version of an adventure, but that's still something anyone can do on any given weekend if they want to learn to surf, and it's a few-hour train ride, it's a few-hour drive, or whatever, it's just finding something that you've always wanted to do, or just something that sounds fun, and going and doing it, and making the time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, often all it takes is stepping out the door. Mm-hmm. I, I think people, if they would just step out the door without their car keys and start walking in a random direction, and plan to do it all day, they're going to have an adventure. Yeah. It can be yeah. as simple as that, you know? It, it, it really can, and not... And I'm, you know, I'm a foreigner in London. I've been here for eight years now, and, and I've travelled around the UK a little bit. But I had this conversation with someone the other day, and they're like, "Oh, I want to go out and do more stuff. I want to see more of the UK." And I said, "Well, on a Saturday morning, get up, go to one of the big train stations, and jump on a train somewhere. Don't get off until it gets to the end destination. Spend the day there. Come back in the afternoon. Oh, That's yeah. a way to have an adventure." You know, or say, right, this one weekend I'm going to book a flight somewhere where I've never been, where I always thought it would be cool to go. Go and do it. Go and spend one night, you know, and, and come back the next day. And that's an adventure. You're going to see somewhere we've never been before, something that you've sound, that you've heard of before but you've never actually been. So it can be as literally as, as, literal, as simple as just doing something like that. But as you said, you've got to get out the door. But if you book something or you just say, right, on this day I'm going to do this, that's a big step to help you uh, to achieve those goals of having a more adventurous life. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, do you know who Anna McNuff is? Yes, I do. I was actually emailing with her yesterday. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I heard Anna on another on the Tough Girl podcast yesterday, too. And, of course, she's been on our show a couple of times. Delightful gal and such an encouragement for people to do just that, to get out the door I just bring this up because I loved the adventure she took across Europe where she went out her back gate and literally went on to social networking and said, where do I go? And let people tell her, you know, turn left, turn right. And she ended up touring Europe on a bicycle, not knowing her destination, where she was going to be or anything, and had a delightful adventure. I just think it's so fun. Kind of whimsical, but wow. Yeah. Yeah, she's... She's a, a barrel full of laughs. She has so much energy, that girl. You know, um, but she, she's like, I've never actually met her, but we've spoken online a bit and on email. I'm trying to get her to 
one of the screenings of uh, of the Ultimate Triathlon, but she's uh, got another big adventure coming up, which everyone should go and check out her online and see what she's up to next. Oh, absolutely. You guys are singing the same song. Oh, yeah, and it's, and it's good fun. It's great to, you know, talk to people who are, you know, striving to, to live their their life every single day and inspire others to do the same, and, yeah, it's, it's a good laugh. Oh, that's great. Well, let's talk about your motivational speaking a little bit. So you're a motivational speaker. You go out and inspire people. So what's that all about? Basically, as I said to you off air, I love hearing the sound of my own voice. And if people are going to pay me to go and talk to uh, to them, why not go and do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little bit more than that. I, As I said, the Marathon de Sables when I was out in the desert, it was really what started everything. And I learned so much so much from those seven days um, about myself, about who I am, the skills that I have as a person and what I can give to, for lack of a better term, the world, give back to the world, you know. And uh, one of the things was about nutrition, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But one of the things was I'm in Marathon de Sables after three days the fourth day is a double marathon. And, uh, and after three days, what they do is every day they have a top 50. And if you're still in the top 50 after three days before the big double marathon day, you start three hours later than the rest of the 1,000 people that take part in the race every year on the double marathon day. And you're part of the elite top 50. So here I am. I'm in the elite top 50 of this race. How I don't know, you know, uh, um, I've not been an ultra runner for more than five months, six months. So I'm sitting in this tent with 49 other elite men and five elite women who are there as well. And they're all talking about their races, what they've done, where they've been, you know, top 10 around the world, marathon to subs, top 50, all this stuff. And, they, and they, someone asks me, and I said, this is my first ever race. And they say, what do you mean? Your first ever multi-stage ultramarathon? And I say, no, my first ever running race. Oh, were you a, um, an elite marathoner? No. Are you an elite cross-country runner? No. Are you an elite 10 k No. <laughs> How the hell are you still in the top 50 after three days? <laughs> I just ran. And they, first of all, they thought I was absolutely crazy. And then secondly, I was an, ins- I was an inspiration to these elite ultramarathon runners who some of them have been running for decades around the world in top races. And I was inspiring them that I just went, you know what, screw it, these injuries, screw life, I'm going to go be an adventurer and I'm going to go and do it. And when I came back from the Marathon de Saabs and I was sh- – and people who knew me and people were starting to follow me online and I used to – I blogged every week about my training and, and what was happening and I started to get messages of – Wow, if you can just go and do it, why can't I? Wow, if you went and did this and if you pulled yourself through this and I had blisters, my my toes were falling off, basically they'll be tea gloving. <laughs> There's a video online at LukeTaversky.com. Go and watch it, not when you're eating because you'll be sick, but go and watch it and you'll see what I went through. And people go, wow, you made it, you did it. You should be so proud. It's, it's amazing. So going back to your question, what's this motivational speaking all about? I realized that, I was getting messages from strangers of thanks to being motivational to them and being inspirational to them and they're going to act on this inspiration, which is the biggest thing, inspiring someone to go and do something, not just say they're inspired. So I started talking to people about, well, you know, I want to go and talk to people about my adventures. I want to go and talk to people about what I've gone through and I just started you know, at schools and I started at different seminars and I just started to talk at a few sort of adventure um, seminars and trade shows and ultra running trade shows, things like that. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to grow that part of what I do. And and now I've got different talks that I do and I I talk about my adventures individually. Like if I do a triathlon show, I'll talk about the triathlons I've done, uh, which is only one officially, but two unofficially. Um, but there are quite extensive ones, and I talk about uh, nutrition, and I talk about um, dreaming big, getting out of your comfort zone, and things like this. And I've just really evolved as a speaker off my own experience and what I've learned in life. And I, I basically just tell people what I've been through and how I got through it myself. And yeah, that's what it's all about. 
Bent Gate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bent Gate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bent Gate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tech.com or retailers near you. You know, one thing that I really appreciate about you is how you're willing to be real with people. You know, on our last show when you were telling us about the depression and how you've worked to overcome that and how these adventures are a part of that, you know, I think that you probably helped thousands of people. So I appreciate that. You're not just one of these, I'm a positive person and and I'm going to tell everyone to be a positive person and life is all full of of unicorns and rainbows. You know, it's it, you're a real guy and you give uh, real accounts of real experiences that really help. No, thanks, Kurt. And that's, you know, I've got to a stage in, in my journey in life where I am comfortable speaking about the demons that I have. Um, we all have them in, in one way or another. And and I, and also I've realized that now I'm my profile is, is slowly getting bigger and my brand's getting bigger and what I'm doing is attracting more attention. And I have an opportunity now that I can, I feel like I can help many other people by telling them my story and telling them it's okay to be open if you suffer from a mental health illness or, or something else or if you're just having a bit of a down down day and having a bit of a tough time with life, that it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to show that side of you. And that's one of the big things that I – it's only been in the last – I must admit, probably 18 months that I started to speak openly about my depression and especially the last really nine months that I've really spoken about it a lot more and there's a big uh, charity and foundation in the UK called the Mental Health Foundation and the the UK Mental Health uh, Awareness Week was in May this year and I did a a lot of media for, for them on Breakfast shows, um, Huffington Post in the UK did a live Facebook chat where we got, you know, uh, I think it was ended up being fifty or sixty thousand views and things like that. And I did about four or five different media things to tell my story and, and tell people how I how I got over the, uh, different times with depression and and they were focusing on relationships. But one thing that happened afterwards that next week that next week. Because I put myself out there and I was so raw, I was exhausted. My depression grabbed hold of me for a few days and mm. I was a bit of a mess. And, and, I, and I told people online, it's like, I'm, I'm so glad that I've helped many people but it's at a cost for me personally because it really grabbed me and, and pulled me under the, um, under the water, so to speak. And uh, I try and be open and real, especially on social media these days. If I'm having a dark time or a down time, I'll, I'll tell people. And, and I've got my own ways to cope with that. And I'm open open with the ways that I do with that. And we spoke about it on the last show. But, uh, yeah, I just try and be real and, and try and tell my story as, as open as I can be because 
I feel I can help others and I want to help others and you know, so they can live life every single day because I know what not living life looks like and I did that for a very long time and I don't want to go back there and although I will have times where I take a step back and I do stumble and I do fall, then I, I take my time and, and get myself back on my feet and try and forge forward with life. Mm. You know what's so interesting about this is the juxtaposition of, of depression which generally makes people want to hole up and not do, right? Mm-hmm. And compare that to an adventure-focused lifestyle where you're doing, um, wow, mega adventures is what I'll is what I'll call it. And uh, those two things kind of clashing with each other, but it just goes to show that you don't have to let the depression win. No, no, you don't. And one of the the big ways that I deal with it is I'm trying to have balance in life. I, if I can't do too much or it all gets over the top and it brings me down and I come crashing hard, I can't do too little because if I'm not engaged enough, I have too much time in my hands and too much space in my head and that's when I go down as well. So I need to try and find some balance. And then when I do start having negative thoughts and when I am having a bit of a dark spell and the depression comes and grabs me, I acknowledge it. I don't try and fight it anymore. I just go, wow, okay, you're here today or you're here for now or you're here because of this reason or you're here just because I have no idea why. I acknowledge it and I say, right, I'm going to give you this day. I'm going to give you the half of this half a day. I'm going to give you this weekend. And I'm just, I stop. I shut off. I stop. I don't try and be productive. I don't try to do anything. I give it that day. I give it that time and I acknowledge it instead of finding it where a lot of people do try and overcome it with whatever reason. They fight it. They try and challenge it. But I acknowledge it. I embrace it and say, okay, you're part of me. Let's do this together. I'm happy to come to you. I'll give you this day. I won't try and do anything. I've tried to get this balance right in my life, but you can have it for now, and then I'm ready to move forward in the future. And that's that's how I try and deal with it. Everyone's different, but that's how I try and get that balance of extreme challenges but then also there are times where I have these uh, you know, quite dark periods and try and find that middle ground when I can. Mm. I love it. You know, I think the, the idea of realizing, okay, so I feel depressed. I'm just going to watch this. I'm going to mm. observe instead of battle and fight. I'm just going to observe this. I think that that can be so healing because what happens is the, the part of our mind that's able to to kind of step outside of ourselves and look back in, that's the, that's the part that ends up in charge, and that's the healing part. Very much so, very much so. And that, you know, meditation and, and mindfulness and just doing things that you enjoy to do uh, on a regular basis can really help with keeping that balance and, and keeping that mind strong. Well, I'm going to just drop another hint. We're going to talk about the ultimate triathlon here in just a, a few more minutes. And uh, so without going to any detail, what was the distance and what period of time? 2,000 kilometers in 12 days from Morocco to Monaco. Okay, this is awesome. And so we're going to go into the details of that in just a minute. But before we do, you are a foodie. You're a guy who really... Uh, watches his diet and has found how healthy good food can help. And so I wanted you to share a little bit about food. And part of the reason is because anybody who's out doing adventure sports, they've got to fuel their body, right? And, oh, yeah. And so I, you hear so many people saying, yeah, I, I just I couldn't eat another Twinkie. And I'm like, oh, don't even take me there. How, how do you eat to fuel yourself for these mega, mega adventures? So I eat fueling with real food. And, you know, what's been happening in this conversation that we've had so far is I'm coming back to the Marathon de Sables. As I said, I learned so much and nutrition from the Marathon de Sables was, for me, it was, it was an eye-opener. So I knew, no, knew nothing about endurance sports, sports nutrition or whatever. I was a soccer player. I ate the standard soccer player's diet where your proportion of meals was you know, carbohydrate and some protein with some meats and, and some veggies and this and that. And you know, have some protein after a training session. You have some carbohydrates before, all this stuff. And I've been huge into my food since I was 14. I got obsessed with um, 
learning about nutrition for sports performance when I was about 14. I'm reading textbooks, university textbooks, which I didn't understand, but I still read them when I was like 14 and 15. And you know, my parents had given me these books for Christmas and all my other friends you know, were buying whatever else they were getting at 14 or 15. And uh, so I went out to the MDS and I knew nothing. So I bought some of the normal gels when you're a runner. You eat gels, right? So I bought some of them and some of the recovery shakes and the recovery powders and this and that, whatever. But in the Marathon de Sables, you carry everything that you're going to eat for the entire week on your back. So you can't take loads and loads of food because it weighs too much. So you have to take at least 2,000 calories on average per day. So you have to take 14,000 calories at least and you got checked when you were out at the desert. And if you didn't have 14,000 calories, you had to go and find some more and bring it back. But everyone did. Now, 2,000 calories a day is basically minimal for an average person just to live on, not doing really any exercise, not doing anything. But for someone who's an athlete and been an athlete their entire life, probably needed a little bit more than that just to survive. Right. Okay? Because my metabolism is a little bit faster than the average person. Now, adding basically running a marathon every day in the extreme heat, then you're going to need a little bit more fuel. But I only took, on average, 2,200 calories a day, Mm. mainly uh, energy gels, energy bars, uh, two dehydrated uh, um, adventure meals, one for breakfast, one for the evening. And, And that's basically it. So anyway... To go back to the question, what do I eat, is what I learned from the Marathon de Sables is to do endurance sports, you don't need as much food as you normally would take on and more so what the sports nutrition companies are telling you. 25 grams, 30 grams of carbohydrates every half an hour, every hour. You don't need that when you're doing endurance sports, when you're just trucking along. When you, you know, I was in the top 50 of an elite race and I still – you know, was there and it wasn't had anything to do with my nutrition, why I dropped off. It was because of injuries, but I had plenty of energy and I'm only eating 2,200 calories. Yes, I lost a lot of weight, but that sprung something in my head. Well, if my body can carry me all this way um, with not eating all this extra food, where am I getting that energy from? And I lost a little bit of like the, the body fat that I had. I was still quite lean, but I lost that. And I said, well, maybe I could, maybe my fat stores were fueling me. Did more research, found out about endurance sports at a lower intensity that you can fuel with fat and then really experimented with eating real food and eating higher higher fat than the average person higher fat than what the sports nutritionists talk about and i started experimenting with that and i started baking uh, using almond meal and other ground nuts and things like this and, you know, because I love cooking, I always have done since I was about 10. And I started making my own energy bars and I started to eat, um, I've been eating things like chia seeds and all these other flax seeds that are really nutrient dense for years and didn't really know too much about them. I just liked them. And I started using all these, what they, you know, what they call now superfoods and creating all this stuff. And I was like, wow. And my performance kept getting better. I went from doing the marathon to subs on this process stuff to doing cycling 412 kilometers in uh, in 18 hours. And I went to Nepal and they didn't eat the energy gels. They were eating real food, chickpeas and nuts and seeds. And I'm like, well, I, when they were running, and so I'm like, oh, I can't eat this. So I experimented all the while with myself. My body was a science experiment. I would go out and do fasted bike rides for seven, eight hours and see if I could survive and then come back and go, right, run as fast as you can for an hour and let's see what happens. And when I was at my fitness and I was trying these experiments, I was like, well, that's the quickest, that's the furthest I've run in an hour that I had done for 12 months. So there must be something to this. I'm reading more research, experimenting on myself, all the while taking notes and learning about it. And then... So that's that's how I feel these big challenges, big adventures, a, a combination of me experimenting in the kitchen, baking and making and making raw things and whatever, and taking things like seeds and nuts um, and making nut butters and vegetables just because sometimes you need a bit of a crunch and things like this. And then I was introduced to someone uh, through a mutual friend of mine who said, oh, you'll be interested in this guy. He's got this new sports nutrition company coming in, just been 
out for a couple of years. And I was like, yeah, okay, sports nutrition company, yeah, whatever, 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 just big budget to market, process crap to us all and tell us that we need, it, need this to be our best performances. But I was really shocked. So I spoke to this guy who has his sports nutrition company and we spoke for a little while and he sent me some products. Actually, no, it's a lie. I bought some products and said, I'll test them out. And I tested them out and I liked them and I used them for about two and a half, three years before we actually became, I became an ambassador for the company and I'm an ambassador now, one of only two. Um, and the other ambassador is Chrissy Wellington, the uh, queen of Kona, as, as she's called. But the company's called 33 Shake and they have two products and I don't want to uh, talk too much about them so people can go and learn about them but basically they've got one product that's 33 superfoods in a little sachet and you can mix that with water you can blend it or whatever and also their chia energy gels which is four ingredients chia seeds Himalayan pink salt Madagascan vanilla extract and a little bit of coconut palm sugar it comes dry it, you fill it up with liquid you shake it 10 minutes later it's a gel it lasts 24 mm. hours and the best thing about these 33 shake chia energy gels is they have an expiry date of like six to eight weeks. And I think that's amazing because they go off if you don't use them because they're real food. Right. So the combination of uh, using my own experimenting with foods and, and my research over a period of about three to four years, meeting Warren from 33 Shake and learning about their company, how it came about, his husband and wife were ultra-distant marathon runners and triathletes, they met someone who had been studying superfoods for health, nothing to do with sports, but for health and how they could, how it could help people's health to try and get over different ailments or different diseases. And they put the two together and they created a real food sports nutrition company um, called 33 Shake. And they have two products available in Europe and in the US as well. And yeah, so I've been using their products now for about three years. And I field with them on my ultimate triathlon and I use them if I'm traveling a lot or if I need a quick quick meal, quick fix. Um, it's very easy to carry. They're dry, so whenever you need them, you fill them up so you're not carrying extra water. And, 30, and the 33 shakes, chuck water or liquid in them if you're out trekking in a little drink bottle and you can drink it down and it's great. And I use a combination of those and my own makings in the kitchen, seeds and nuts and things like that to uh, fuel and recover from all my uh, adventures. You know, what I like about that, the takeaway that I'm getting is the idea of eating nutrient and calorie-dense foods that uh, work with you that are natural and whole and not a processed, you know, chemical product that they put together in a laboratory. You're talking about taking real food and filling yourself better than you were doing with some of the, the sports foods that are on the market today. No, that's exactly right. And the big thing for us all is convenience. These real food, they call them gels because it is a gel-like liquid. If you ever put water with chia seeds, they become like a sticky gel. But they're convenient. They've got a screw cap lid. So if you don't eat them in one go, if you don't eat it in one go, you can put the screw cap lid back on and have it in another 10, 15 minutes. And they're no bigger than a normal energy gel. And then the 33 shakes, they come in a plastic sachet. So you can just take them all with you. And if you want to have them, I take them when I travel, doing talks or if, I, if I'm if i off um, visiting friends and stuff like that for a weekend, or I know I'm going to get a really great nutrient-dense, um, calorific snack. All I have to do is add water or add coconut milk or add coconut water or add juice or whatever you want. So they're really convenient, and that's the big thing as well. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm always looking for new foods and convenient foods for backpacking, especially because there's that whole weight to energy ratio, mm. you know, and I've, I've pulled away from the carbs and away from a lot of the processed stuff myself as well, Luke, because I find that I do better on a fat and protein based diet where I can have longer turn, slow burn, you know, type energy when I backpack and, and when I climb 14ers and that sort of thing. So anyway, mm. I'm always interested and what people are doing and discovering out there that are along similar lines. We need to check out 33 Shake. Um, they're available in – the gels are available in the U.S. right now, and the shakes are coming out at the end of the year. So have a look at their website, 33shake.com, and you will be amazed. Hmm, interesting. I have not heard of them before, so – 
Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The Whatity Stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180TAC.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses Biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. Well, let's talk about this ultimate triathlon. Um, you've done so many big, you know, ultra running type events, but this is the granddaddy. And I want people to hear what you've done and how they can be a part of witnessing it. Oh, yeah. So I came out with the ultimate triathlon even before I went out and did the marathon de Sables. When I was an, an ultra marathon athlete in training, and I'm going to be an adventurer when I come back from the desert and I'm going to take the world by storm, I realized I needed to, something, needed to do something big. I needed to put Luke Zabersky, the adventurer, on the map. So I literally stared at a world map and the Strait of Gibraltar between Spain and Morocco jumped out at me for whatever reason. Now, I didn't swim. I've not swam a lap in a pool since I was about six. And I didn't own a bike at that time. And I'd only started doing running for about two months when I created this. But the route from Morocco over the Mediterranean Sea, across the Gibraltar Strait to the southern tip of Spain, and then all the way along the southeast coast of Spain, jumped out at me. And I went, well, I could swim that. I could cycle to, uh, that looks like I could cycle along the southeast coast of Spain. And then I hit the Spanish-French border. And then I went, well, hang on. That swims a bit short, looking on the map. That cycle legs a bit longer. What's the next country? Oh, there's Monaco. Oh, that's a bit shorter than the than the bike leg. Oh, that could be a triathlon. Oh, swim, cycle, run, Morocco to Monaco. Sounds good. Did a bit of research. It's about 2,000 kilometers. And then I was like, oh, I wonder how long that'll take me. I did a few equations in my head. I, like, I wonder if I could do it in 12 days. Started talking to a few people. No, too short talking to some good friends of mine who are Ironman triathletes in, in Australia. No, no way. I reckon 14, 15 days and you'll do it. No, no, no. Started doing some more research. And remember, I wasn't a swimmer. I wasn't a cyclist. I didn't even own a bike. And I'd only just been starting running. And I went, nope, I'm going to do it in 12 days. And then that is quite literally how the ultimate triathlon, Morocco to Monaco, uh, sprung about and it was 2000 kilometers in 12 days and i did it last year finishing on the 1st of november so you finished on november 1st mm -hmm. of last year so 2015 and since then you've been uh, working on sharing the story with a documentary tell us about that yeah so my dream back in the end of 2011 when I came out with this, I thought, wow, this would be great. I'm going to do this big thing. I'm going to make a documentary about it. I'm going to show everyone, you know, back then how tough I am and, and what the human body can do. But I've evolved as a person over the last five years, as you can probably tell in, in a conversation we've been having. And I always wanted to have a documentary made and I found a, an independent filmmaker who was quite willing to come along. He does it on the side. He's not full-time. He has a normal full-time job and he does media stuff on the side and, and he found me online and we started chatting and he's, and I said, would you like to come along? And he said, yeah. And Because this is on, I don't have any big sponsors. I did a crowdfunding campaign to help fund this. I've got a few smaller sponsors that throw in a few dollars here and there. Uh, I've basically put 
any money that I own into this thing uh, and borrowed some uh, from anyone who would want to lend me any. Um, and this is an investment. The Ultimate Triathlon was a huge investment financially and everything else for me. I went all in financially, physically, mentally, emotionally into this because this is a big thing for me and I wanted to create something big for everyone else and, and something that people can learn from, not just about the 2,000 kilometers in 12 days or not about swimming, cycling and running but just about living life. So I went out and did it and I had this one guy who came out with me with one camera that he rented very cheaply because he haggled the rental company to give us this quality uh, camera to use that we could film and make it good enough to put on television or make a documentary about it and put it in the cinemas. So we had GoPros that we stuck on the side of the vans and other adventure cameras and a few of the crew. There was four people in total, the cameraman, my girlfriend who's an osteopath and also my two great friends uh, from 33 Shake, Warren and Erica. Uh, they came along as well, and that was it for the entire 12 days, and we filmed it. We filmed everything. Cameras were always rolling, and in uh, about 14 days, cause, no, about 15 days, because we were out in Spain a little bit early before I started, the filmmaker filmed 60 hours worth of footage, and he's cut it down to a 90-minute full-feature <laughs> film about my journey from Morocco to Monaco. And there are so many twists, so many turns, so many setbacks, so many things you just didn't see coming. It's the most agonizing, inspiring, motivational, stupid, uh, fun, thrilling thing I've ever seen uh, and experienced and done in my life. I just, it's amazing. I can't wait for other people to see it. Oh, that's fun. So, how do we see the full 60 hour version? <laughs> I don't, that's, so the plan is to get the 90-minute actual film out. So it, um, I'm having screenings around around the world in the UK, in the US, and also in Australia. The screenings are out for the UK. The world premiere is on the seventh. Sorry, it's on the 18th of September in London, and then there's screenings in London and in, around the UK for the next couple of weeks. After that, I'm having quite a big screening in LA. Um, on the 11th of October. So if you're in the LA area or if you just fancy coming out to LA to come and meet me, I'll be out there for it. Um, come and, you know, come and check out the screening there, but it'll also be available as a download online. So you can find this uh, on numerous websites. One is theultimatetriathlon.co. That's where everything's housed. You can see the really cool trailer for the film there and you can buy tickets for the screenings and see where they all are. And also LukeTaberski.com is my personal website. Everything's on there again. And all social media is at Luke Taberski. And it's it's awesome. I can't wait. I saw the film for the first time only two days ago. I laughed. I cried. I thought to myself, what were you thinking? How was that ever a good idea? <laughs> uh, I winced. I laughed. Um, I cheered. I felt proud. I felt like I was an idiot um and yeah i cried again uh, i was in pain again my legs started hurting again while i was sitting mm. on the couch it was just uh, as you can tell I'm, I'm so passionate about this because it's five years worth of hard work and when i initially told people i was going to do this no one believed me for years and when i told them i was going to make a documentary when i was going to do this everyone laughed at me when i told them i was going to be an adventurer they laughed at me i said you're crazy get a real job but I saw the vision, I went all in, I backed myself and I've had so many setbacks as we all have in life but I adapted, I persevered just like in the ultimate triathlon. I got injuries, I got hit with road closures, roadblocks, stuff with police, you know. We nearly got arrested and thrown in jail. There's all this stuff, <laughs> I won't spoil it. There's all this, you know, the, the sw something happened on the swim, I couldn't swim the leg the way that I wanted to and that got flipped on its head even before it started. Um, so there's so much drama, but so many inspirational things, not just from me, but my crew, what my crew did, how my crew got me from one place to the other and days where I don't even remember finishing, they patched me up and got me ready for the next day. So it's not just about me or the actual distance. The crew plays a massive part and they're good fun. Uh, they crack plenty of jokes and, you know, also serious and you can see 
the pain and, and the emotion on their faces as well with every step that I took. So, yeah, it's going to be great fun. Can't wait to share it with everyone. I'm actually also looking for a venue in Colorado. So if anyone knows a venue in Colorado uh, that may want to uh, screen this, um, then please get in touch. Uh, I'm looking for it in the second week of October, so somewhere between the 10th and the 15th when I'll be in the US, uh, not on the 11th because I'll be in LA, but any other day in that week. Yeah, get in touch and uh, let's see if we can't organize a screening there and I'll come out and we'll show the film, the 90-minute film. We'll do a Q&A with me afterwards and talk about everything and uh, then hopefully once the film's uh, once the screening's done by the middle of October and the film's out for to download for everyone, then my filmmaker will start to going to town on the rest of the uh, 58 and a half hours of footage and <laughs> create some bonus features and, and bonus uh, material as well. So we'll see. Oh, that's great. How, how fun is that? You know, I do want to see that film and uh, I'll help you any way I can to get you into Colorado to a venue here. We're going to have to figure that out because Colorado is one of those very fit, um, adventure-focused states and the people here all right they they just eat stuff like this up so i it really needs to come through colorado and be shown here so that's that's awesome luke congratulations thank you very much even better i will come to the screening i live in london if you can find me somewhere to screen it i'll be there and you can talk to me after we'll do a q a i'll be there and it'll be fantastic and if you want to see what it's like you want to get a taste Go to theultimatetriathlon.co and it will come up and there's a trailer and you'll see the trailer. Watch the trailer. It goes for 60 seconds. And if you know someone in Colorado that has someone that we could screen it, show them this trailer and I guarantee you they'll jump at the chance and I'll come out and I'll be there as well. Right on. So, Luke, let's talk about the experience just a little bit. Give us some bullet points maybe, but... Um, I was thinking about, so you're trying to swim the Straits of Gibraltar, but the shipping traffic through there even alone would be a huge challenge. I mean, how did that go? Yeah, it's one of the busiest uh, shipping lanes in the world. You have basically a 10-mile gap of water that opens up to the whole Mediterranean and everything that floods from that uh, in terms of shipping and cargo and all of that stuff. But then also you've got the day boats. You've got ferries that go between Morocco and Spain every couple of hours. Um, so, yeah, there was just tankers all around, big shipping containers, as you see on the <laughs> documentary as well. And, uh, yeah, I had a boat that I followed and a boat, literally a little dinghy by my side, um, that fed me every hour. And uh, I just followed them and they were in touch with the Coast Guard. They were in touch with the tankers, so I was told. Um, and some of the times I'm thinking – uh, if I go at this speed and that tanker that's over there looks like maybe a couple of kilometers away, we're going to get pretty close. And there was a couple of times where I was like, I don't know if I should slow down or if I should speed up because we're coming, it looks like we're coming to a T-junction here and I'm not really sure I want to take this thing on. <laughs> but uh, but luckily enough, I made it across the Gibraltar Strait. And, uh, but yeah, there was a few times where I thought, mm, I'm a little bit too close to these massive big shipping containers that I want to be, but... The people who the company that runs the the Gibraltar Strait crossings have done it for several years and got me across in one piece. Wow! So the biking portion, um, what kind of distance did you have to do each day? <laughs> well, each day uh, it was thirteen hundred kilometers, so I think it's about eight hundred and fifty miles um, in four and a bit days. I say four and a bit. The reason being is you would think swimming. Um, over 10 miles from across the Gibraltar Strait from Africa to Spain, that's good enough for day one, yeah? No. This, <laughs> it, this, this bald Australian crazy guy decided, no, I'm going to cycle 70 miles on day one after I swim. So wow. I, got, I got on the bike, cycled 70 miles, and then for the, final, for the next four days, I basically cycled – um, around 190 and two, to, to over 210 miles, 220 miles a day um, mm. over hills. <laughs> it wasn't flat. Right. Uh, um, yeah, and ended up at the Spanish-French border uh, in over four days. It was uh, pretty hairy, pretty scary. I um, There's a few setbacks that hit me 
um, I passed out on the bike one one night after cycling for about 220 miles, and I was about five miles away from the end of the day. The crew lost me. Oh no! Uh, yeah, on a wrong road. I was I had a radio like on Tour de France, but I was unresponsive because I was out. I'd been out for hours. I was just cycling, and had I was the lights were on, but no one was home. Uh, and the crew found me after about three or four hours and I was unresponsive. I basically passed out in the back of the van. I was unconscious and uh, that's all shown in the documentary. I'm not going to give out too much else, but there's setbacks like this. So what happens, you know, yikes. what happens What happens the next day? What happens the day after? So, but yeah, I made it uh, to the Spanish-French border and then I basically had a double marathon to run every day for seven days. Oh. And yeah, that's ridiculous. I know. What was I thinking? Um, but after cycling, you know, all that way in four and a half days, I, I picked up a hamstring injury and I struggled with that on the back of the bike. And that flipped over to a quadriceps injury because of the way I was running. Um, and then once again, I started passing out at the end of the days because from pure exhaustion. And uh, I finished it with a bad tear in my uh, quadricep. And there's a bit of a twist at the end. I'm not going to give it away too much. I'm going to let you watch the film. But, uh, yeah, let's just say I hobbled very badly into um, Monaco. And whenever I wasn't traveling during the day, I was on crutches during the evenings and the mornings before I actually started doing the route. You know, some look or some people are, are hearing you right now and they're saying, hey, this guy's nuts. What's the point? And other people are saying, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. and there's going to be everything in between, you know, the full spectrum. Cause some people just can't imagine. It's like, it, now, that's not even humanly possible. Why would we try that? You know, well, that, that's why I made a documentary so I can show people what we are capable because the people that ask me why I do these things, why you put yourself through these crazy you know, challenges, go back and listen to our, our, our podcast before to hear in detail some of the other challenges I've done. But why put yourself through all this? Well, I know what not living life is like when I had that three-year bad battle with depression when I was injured and I couldn't play football. And then I went out to the MDS and I was inspiring these elite ultra runners with what I was doing. And I realized, wow, I can make a difference to people's lives here. So the reason why I do what I do and the reason why I pushed myself to my limits during the ultimate triathlon and then kept going day after day after day, both physically and mentally, is to inspire others to live their lives every single day and get out of their comfort zones so they can achieve what they truly are capable of. And that's Mm. the real reason why I do this. And I have a platform. I have a voice. I have a profile where I can touch people in a way that the everyday person can't. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a huge big name in the ultra uh, endurance world, but I'm trying to be because I want to show people that you can be real. You don't have to be, well, um, I only just show all the bubbly or the rainbows and the unicorns, as you said earlier. I show what it's like in the trenches. I show what it's like to dig deep because I want people to be able to do that in their everyday lives with nothing to do with physical activity or endurance, but I want them to go, wow, I've always wanted to do an art class but I've always been too ashamed because I'm not very good at art. I want to inspire them to sign up to the next art class and go and do it because it doesn't matter if you fail. You'll learn so much from if you fail, but it's failing if you don't give it a go. And I want to be that little spark of inspiration to get that person out of the chair, out the door, as we spoke about earlier, and go to that art class. And that has nothing to do with endurance sports, but that's the impact I want to have on the world and with people who hear my story and watch the ultimate triathlon. Awesome. Well, Luke, thank you very much for your time today. You know, we will put the links that you mentioned on our show notes. So you, anyone who hears this, if you want to hear more about the ultimate triathlon, you want to buy tickets, you want to get to some of these screenings, then you can go to these links. Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com. It'll all be there with the post for this episode. 
And Luke, it's working, man. I'm inspired. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thanks for having me back on. Um, and it's been amazing. And yeah, anyone in Colorado wants to house a screening, get in touch and let's make this happen. And thank you. It's awesome to be back on the Adventure Sports Podcast. And I hope to chat with you all again sometime soon uh, with more crazy adventures and uh, inspirational um, stories. Oh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, Luke's been telling you it's worth getting out there and having some fun. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low-carb, organics, diet powders, and the lot. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com.